So like in Corinthians, where Paul talks about all the body with different parts and different gifts, we aren't all a bunch of eyes. He's made us so different and unique, and so we can benefit the church. And really, it's a way of loving our neighbors to get to know those Welcome to this week's edition of First Person and today's guest, Trillia Newbell. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and I'm looking forward to introducing you to Trillia, who is the author of United, Captured by God's Vision for Diversity. If you are a new listener, this weekly conversation introduces you to interesting people from all walks of life who've been redeemed by Jesus Christ and live a life of purpose serving the Lord. Our website, if you want additional information, is firstpersoninterview.com. There you can read more about today's guest, browse the audio archive of past programs you'd like to listen to, and see the schedule of upcoming interviews. It's all at firstpersoninterview.com. And then we also have a page on Facebook where you can leave comments about what you hear and see what other listeners are saying. That's found at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Trillia Newbell is an experienced writer who focuses on themes of faith, family, and diversity, calling us to appreciate God's heart for us, to know and appreciate each other in a gospel-centered unity. She, along with her husband and children, live near Nashville, and we spoke recently on the phone. Um, I grew up in a small town in Tennessee, in East Tennessee, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I would have called ourselves um, that we were kind of holiday Christians. We went to church on the major holidays, but we didn't we we didn't attend regularly. And then I um, from from there, I, I grew up in a predominantly white community, and um, and well, of course, my town. It, it was just it was all, it was predominantly white as well, and we um my dad was great at um teaching me about the civil rights movement and and the beauty of diversity in just life all in general and then um it was probably my around my senior year of high school that I met a girl and she shared the gospel with me but I was in dating a boy and didn't want to have much to do with that. <laughs> and um, then about two years after this boy and I um, had a broken engagement, the Lord broke me and humbled me. And I went to church and heard the gospel afresh and anew and became a Christian and haven't looked back since. And I was about 22 then. Yeah. And so, yeah. And um, and it's kind of a great story because that boy <laughs> and I, um, he became a Christian and we are now married with two sweet kids. <laughs> so and the they Lord lived was happily faithful. ever after, right? <laughs> yes, yes. God was faithful to redeem us to him first and then each other. Yeah. Well, I know how important the issue of diversity is to you. I know how important the church is to you. But let me take you back. You mentioned your, okay. your family and growing up. And it was, uh, I mean, I'm guessing you grew up in the 80s and 90s. Am I wrong about that? You are right. Okay. So the 80s and 90s, what was that like for an African-American woman, a child growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood? Well, you know, a lot of people think, well, the civil rights movement happened and surely everything was fine. But the truth is, is that we experienced racism. And um, though we experienced lots of love, I definitely experienced some blatant racism. And a lot of it was in the area of relationships. So not being allowed to go to someone's home because I was a black female or um, a, black, a white boy not allowed to talk to me because I was a black female or 
um, or just being called names. And so I, I experienced it. And my father, who had experienced it exponentially in greater ways than I had, was so just loving. And he taught us to just love and forgive. And so I never... It it was obviously common grace of God that I did not harbor anger. I just didn't understand it Mm -hmm. because I I just didn't. I just thought, gosh, I'm a person. And um, and so and so so growing up in the South, I had great a great, great, great childhood. But I definitely experienced some blatant racism. Yeah. It sounds like your your father in particular uh, did a wonderful job of preparing you just by by loving people around him. He did. He he just he just had a real love and heart for people and just didn't really um he taught us daughters to love to love people and to forgive and he just he didn't he saw people as as just um not all the same because we're different, but we're, um, but just not, but pretty much the same. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. I mean, we and and in God's in God's economy, we are the same. We are made all made in the image of God. Right. We are all redeemed equally. We are all the same. But um, but he didn't. He he taught me to enjoy the differences of culture and ethnicity. Good. So that's what I mean by so. But but yet not. But not to hate anyone and to forgive when others um, would have said or or were, um, yeah, uh, unkind to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know it must have happened. It probably happened more times than any of us would like to admit. Tell me more about your spiritual decision to come to Christ. You you said there was a period in which you didn't want anything to do with Jesus. What what was uh, going on in your heart and mind? Um. Well. I was dating a, a guy who was agnostic, and I really think that um, when you involve another person, a, a relationship, it is really, it can blind you. It can really blind you from the truth of the gospel, can blind you from, because you, for me, it was all about my desires now, and and so I wasn't w- willing to give it up. I just didn't want to give up a relationship, and I didn't want to surrender my life to anyone and the Lord, I know that you know, I didn't want to count any cost. <laughs> I just didn't want to, and I knew the truth, um, but I just wasn't—I just wasn't ready to surrender to Jesus. But, but um, He is—you can't escape His grace. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so He He sought me and and got me, huh. and and by the grace of God, I repented and and following Him and. Um, but but it just I think I was just in deceived by the desires of my flesh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I just didn't want to give it up. That was the tipping point for you, huh? Yeah, it was. It was. I just I I thought you know I um really like this boy and um my my father also died um in ninety seven so it was right right before i heard the gospel and mm. and i um i think i just had some confusion and maybe a little bitterness just uh, maybe towards god I'm, i i don't know i don't know that i would say that but i think i might have been mm-hmm. and just kind of com- though yeah and so i i just think i was really resistant resistant to to um 
to want to to drop all I am and follow him mm-hmm. as he calls us to. He really it's it's a it's a call to to die to self and and we know that to to die it, it's gain. We know it's gain. Now I know I that this is there's nothing better than living for the Lord and serving the Lord and trusting the Lord and that I know the the Lord. There, but at, when I'm a young, you know, selfish, <laughs> self focused girl, I just it was it was hard to to surrender to that and to trust Him. Um, but again, he 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 has a way of humbling us, and and he says he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And he humbled me through a broken engagement, and that I'm so thankful for that because mm-hmm. that brought me to Him. I read in your book, and, and by the way, it's an excellent book on diversity in the church, and we'll get into some of these issues in a few moments, but I read where you say we shouldn't look past color, but you consider yourself first a Christian and then a black woman. Uh, can you explain that a little bit for me? Yes. Um, okay, so my identity is first in Christ. I am um, a Christian. I have I was made in the image of God, and I've been transformed by the gospel, and that's where, that's where my first identity is. But I am created by the Lord, so I didn't ask God to make me brown. He made me brown on His own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's His creation, and He delights in it. And 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 so I don't think I think it would be such a tragedy is a little dramatic, but but a little bit of a tragedy if we if we all just tried to pretend like we were colorblind. <laughs> and if we we know we aren't, we can never really truly be colorblind. So instead of pretending, we can instead embrace and enjoy the way that the Lord has made every, each and every one of us. And we're all um, create, created in His image, and we're... Um, but we're different, and we have unique gifts, and the Lord desires to... Um, so like in Corinthians, where Paul talks about all the body with different parts and different gifts, we aren't all a bunch of eyes. He's made us so different and unique, and and so we can... Um, it can benefit the church, and really, it's a way of loving our neighbors to get to know those those unique ways that the Lord has made us in culture and ethnicity. We'll continue this conversation with author and speaker Trillia Newbell coming up today on First Person. Next week, you'll meet a young man from Mongolia who desires to see the gospel impact his country. To see my country being influenced by the Judeo-Christian ethics, the morals and the values that we can set our course ahead so that you know, our country can become a, a major, major a contributor for missions. You'll meet my friend from Mongolia, Bot, who works with a Far East broadcasting company, next time on First Person. My first person guest today is Trillia Newbell, who is the author of United, Captured by God's Vision for Diversity, is published by Moody. And we've only met on the telephone today, Trillia, but you sound like such a wonderful, positive, upbeat person. And as I read your book, there is, I don't know if I've read a better book on what it means to live in a diverse culture in the church and to accept that in the church. And I, I just congratulate you on a fine book. Wow. Well, that's very, very encouraging. And, um, you know, I attribute any 
joy to the Lord, joy of the Lord. And I, I hope that when people read United, that they would see that this pursuit doesn't have to be drudgery, that it can be a joyful pursuit. And it doesn't, yeah, it does. It it doesn't have to be a, a something hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As we mentioned a few moments ago, your marriage is an interracial marriage, and that qualifies you to speak to some issues. You know, we may have someone listening who's never really heard the heart of someone who's involved in a marriage like yours, and maybe this is kind of new new territory for them. I'd like for you just to talk about that for a moment and talk about the the ups and downs that you've had. Sure. Well, I have had the joy of not having a lot of downs because our family supports our marriage. But I do know of so many people who've had a very difficult time um, in the dating process or when they are dating interracially and their parents hate the idea of it. And so I have been blessed not to have experienced that at all. Um, the, so the, any other downs would be just, um, we were heckled once um, and we've had looks before, and and lots of questions. But but I I really believe it's God's grace that we we have been able to be united <laughs> together in the gospel and also in our marriage. Um, and so so I'm thankful for that. But I think what what people can um, encourage other people to do is look to. Numbers, I believe it's Numbers 11, where God, he, um, he punishes Miriam for um, confronting Moses for marrying a Cushite, Kush, I'm probably saying, an Ethiopian, right. <laughs> an Ethiopian woman. And, and so he, he turns her skin into um, Snow White leprous. And so I think that what is encouraging to me and should be encouraging to any listener who who feels um, like they it may be a, a hard road if they are in an interracial marriage is that God, He delights in it. He delights in marriage. And so He does not oppose that um, two people of a different ethnic background be married. He His opposition would be two people who are unequally yoked in terms of Christianity, so mm-hmm. a Christian and a non-Christian. Right. And so I think there can be some confusion, but that, to me, is so encouraging, just to see that if this is not something, this is something that is embraced by the Lord, like so much so that He rebuked um, someone for for being opposed to it. He didn't have to put that in Scripture, but He did. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very telling. Yes, it is. And, of course, you go deeper in your book on these issues than we'll have time to talk about here in a few minutes on the radio together. But I just want to whet the appetite of our listeners on these issues. Another issue for you that you write very well about is being uh, the minority member of a predominantly white church Um, and the lessons that you've learned, that the church has learned. And I wonder if you could just kind of sketch some of those for us for a few moments. One of the things that... I learned is that people don't really know that there could be any any struggle or anything that someone who is a minority in a predominantly whatever church, so a predominantly white church or predominantly black church, but they are the minority that they would could be feeling a little bit lonely or 
fearful. And and so I found that when my pastors asked me to about 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 um they well they first asked me to review a book and then after I reviewed the book they asked me some more of my thoughts on just living life in the church as a predominantly black woman. Um and and it would I think it was really enlightening not only to them but to me because I hadn't thought through all of the things that were hidden in my heart. So things like fear of man, fe- feeling like I was, would, might not be accepted, fear, um, f- feeling sometimes like an outsider, um, fear of not getting married. So will, like we just kind of talked about, will someone ex- take accept me for who I am in Christ? Um and then different cultural things. So we would have things, fun things, but things like country boy Olympics, and and I'm fine with that. But just different, there are different cultural things that mm-hmm. I would, yeah, that didn't necessarily fit with who I am, and so I would have to ju- adjust. And um, and so there are things things that you just have to think about that you wouldn't have to think about if you were potentially in a in an all a, a church that was all. Um, one one uh, ethnicity. Yeah, one predominantly one race. Did yeah. you ever feel uncomfortable as the minority in the congregation that suddenly you're thrust into that role of speaking for all those who are like you? I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. You know, I was never put in that position. They they never asked me to speak on behalf of everyone. Um, and so that I'm thankful for that <laughs> because I would have been uncomfortable. Um, but I did have to answer different questions. Um, and there were, there were times when I could just tell that I was the only one or because I was asked different questions and things about my hair or just different things that were completely innocent, but I could just tell, okay, I'm unique. I'm different. They, and they're taking note of that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) yeah. Well, what is your advice to churches uh, in the area of racial diversity? Um, Churches still struggle with this, as you know, uh, whether they're in the South or any other place in the world. Uh, How do you encourage churches to incorporate more diversity? Well, I really, really believe that it begins in your own heart. So, so you don't want to build diversity for diversity's sake. You want to build diversity because you love people. And so I think we've got to start there. So the question would be, um, how, how am I doing loving people? How am I loving my neighbor as myself? And then from there, um, you would, you could begin this pursuit of diversity and which really in my book and even in my heart, I, it's, I kind of simplify it. Um, it really, I think, starts with relationships and friendships. Yeah. So talking to your neighbor, inviting someone to lunch, inviting someone in, um, and, and, and it, it doesn't have to be really super complicated. I think if we start with authentic relationships, then from there, it, I think we'll be, you could see we'll have diversity. I think you could build diversity. Well, that segues right into what I wanted to ask you about next, and that is that you you write so eloquently in your book about the friendships that you've had, particularly with two women. Uh, And I wonder if you could talk about that and and how that has helped you and and I assume the other women grow in this whole area. What's so special about those friendships you've had? Yeah, I think what's so special about them is that they were real friendships that were 
deep friendships that lasted. And so I think that that's what is so unique about it is that we weren't, we didn't get together and set out to be diverse. We just happened to be a white female, black female, and a Chinese girl. And we met together consistently, and we shared our hearts. And from that, the Lord really built something. Um, it, it just built an authentic friendship and deep relationship. And and so I would I would ask the Lord for diversity in our church, but He didn't He didn't bring an influx of diverse people. He brought me friends. That it's just special. It's a special, special relationship, and and then from from there, we we benefited, and I think others will. We benefited from our differences, and we benefited from the unique ways that the Lord had made us in terms of gifts, and just um, also our ethnic differences. And we really benefited and um, enjoyed each other. I hear you saying that despite whatever issues there might be, and whoever's in the minority and who's in the majority, it all comes down to relationships, doesn't it? If you can start there and have good relationships that are grounded in the gospel, and you, yeah, it, it is the way I think the Lord, all throughout Scripture, He's always talking about one another. There's all the one another Scriptures, and we, we're to meet one another, serve one another, encourage one another, love one another, and and so... Uh, it makes sense to me that this would also be a, a this pursuit of diversity would also be about the one another's. Like you could about serving, loving, and enjoying one another. It just yeah, I think that would. It's almost that simple. <laughs> I don't want to simplify it, but I feel like it is. I just believe it is. Trillia, what kind of dreams do you have for your own children and the world that? You know, as the Lord tarries, they're going to live in in the next 20 and 30 years. What are some of your thoughts about that? I actually dedicated United to my kids, and my dedication says something like, I hope that when they read the book, as they get older, because right now they don't quite get it, that they'll ask their mom, why in the world would you write a book about diversity? Why would you do that? Because it's so prevalent in their churches, and um that they, it's not just something that society has embraced, but the church has embraced. They would be, the book would be, it wouldn't be necessary. And so my, that's my hope and dream is just that, that we would have so embraced this big God vision of the beauty of diversity in the church and all of life that the, the book would not be needed. That's my dream. <laughs> Our guest today on First Person has been Trillia Newbell. Her book is titled Unity, Captured by God's Vision for Diversity. You can read more about Trillia at our website, firstpersoninterview.com, and we'll place a link there for her book if you'd like to follow up and learn more about it. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com. You can also leave a comment regarding today's conversation on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Click on like at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. We archive each week's program as an audio file where you can go anytime and listen to what you may have missed today or any other recent interview you'd like to catch up on. Click the listen button at firstpersoninterview.com. And if you'd like to have each week's edition sent to you automatically, First Person is available as a podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe at no cost. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.